Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy and sometimes children's fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Indeed. This week, The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joan Aiken. Oh! Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> We had never read this book before. It was a listener request from multiple listeners, uh, specifically Angela and Clarissa. Thank you so much for requesting this. It was a romp, as Madeline would say, a romp through the dark, dangerous, wolf-filled woods. I uh, I read it in is like... It's possible, after all. Indeed. I read it in uh, a sitting and a half, and not not just because it's shorter, but because I was just so pulled in. It was magnificent. Yeah. This book was published in 1962. It is one of the older books that we've covered, and it really took me back to the kinds of books that I really loved when I was slightly younger than the age that we often focus on for this podcast, Mm -hmm. where like, give me an orphan, give me like a really mean adult who thwarts a child and lies to them in some way. Um, adventures with crusts of bread. (laughs) I'm mainly thinking of A Little Princess, which I was obsessed with and I've probably read hundreds of times, but this book gave me a lot of great echoes of that, but done to like an almost satirical level. Yeah. (laughs) It's very fun. Yeah. It, well, it really reminded me of Roald Dahl. Yes. I felt like there was a similar spirit in there. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, but we'll get into that more after we get our necessities out of the way. Necessities. So first of all, we are going to discuss the cover of the book, the way the publisher chose to package and promote it. Um, we have a really great 50th anniversary copy from the Seattle Public Library. Shout out. Um, it has a magnificent Edward Gorey painting. An actual Gorey on it. Drawing on the front. I don't know if he did it specifically for the book or if it's a composite of other art of his, but it seems pretty perfect. And the characters at the top really look like Bonnie and Sylvia in their little fur caps. And there are also illustrations throughout, um, which I very much enjoyed by Pat Marriott um, of the heavy cross-hatching ink variety um, that filled so many similar books that I was obsessed with as a kid. Look at this one of Miss Slycarp. We'll put a few of these up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, as podcasting is family, famously not the best medium for showing <laughs> <visual> medium. <laughs> Um Yeah, they're they're really cool. I kept getting drawn in by the, the skill of the suggestion that the mm-hmm. artist uses the cross-hatching for to mm-hmm. great effect. Yeah, they're very good illustrations. And just the sort of suggestions of faces with sad little dark spots yes, from exactly. <laughs> heavy yeah. ink. Um, overall, the color scheme is so striking, red and black um, with a little bit of white to show the snow and the cold. And it, it just looks so thrilling. And it is a thrilling book. It, um, it's one of my favorite covers, I think, actually. like It just looks so magical. And uh, the color scheme is very... I love uh, um, black and red mm-hmm. and white. Like Those are great art yeah. colors. It And if I saw that on a shelf as a kid, I would be like, oh, yeah, this is a cool book. And I'm going to be cool and read it. For sure. I think this just somehow missed us, maybe because it was a little too old but 
at the back, there's a list of yearling classics, (laughs) and all of the others are ones that I have basically memorized. The Phantom Tollbooth is on here, which we just did an episode on. Anne of Green Gables, Harriet the Spy, one of my favorite books of all time. If it had any (laughs) fantasy elements, we would have covered it. Um, Swiss Family Robinson, Dr. Doolittle, Where the Red Fern Grows. So I don't know. Somehow this just passed us over, maybe because it is by an English author. I'm not sure. Yeah. But glad again, we've done it now. Thanks Good job, to our suggestors listeners who requested it. Yeah. So with that, Madeline, would you like to give us a plot summary for those who haven't visited the book in a while or have not read it before? We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you'd like to take that freezing, hungry, and at turns thrilling romp through the wolf-filled woods, as I mentioned, <laughs> run off and do that and then come on back. It's a romp. It's a romp. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so uh, we start out with uh, Bonnie, um, not with Sylvia. Bonnie is... Yeah, there's a strange change of perspective. Yeah. Um, because we really remain with Sylvia yeah. more primarily for the rest of the book, but uh-huh. there's also an omniscient narrator. So sometimes we get glimpses of things that neither of them are there for. I yeah. don't know. No, the narrative structure is interesting. Yeah. Um, so Bonnie is the daughter of Sir Willoughby and Lady Green, um, and uh, Willoughby Chase is their estate, and it is a, a a grand but remote home. And the time period is Georgian England, Dickensian. That's yeah, vibes. Uh, Dickensian vibes yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Lady Green, Bonnie's mother, is ill um it's it's unclear she has one of those sicknesses that you need to take the water fresh air water and or mountains yeah yeah and now as i'm saying that like is was that just old timey for like this person is like mentally ill i mean (laughs) great question like because bonnie's mom does seem like severely depressed like you could definitely read her symptoms as that and you know a change of pace to beautiful scenery is often pretty good for depression. And also being um, lost at sea for six <laughs> days, which they're <laughs> so cavalier about. Okay, we'll get to that. I'm sorry. So they go by ship to tour the Mediterranean, um, Bonnie's parents, to heal Bonnie's mother's ailment. Um, and her dad uh, decides that the best person to take care of Bonnie during this time is a like distant cousin who he's never met, um, but has good uh, references. Her references check out, although it doesn't sound like anyone does a good job of checking out those references. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Um, there couldn't have been less diligence put into the screening of any of, any of the people in this home. And and he they leave... <laughs> They leave Bonnie and her cousin Sylvia not only in Miss Slycarp's not-so-capable hands, but they leave a random man who passes out on the train that's going past (laughs) their house in the house with their children and are like, oh, well... (laughs) Guess he lost his memory. We'll let him be here to heal. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm interrupting and jumping all no, over the no, place. It's... But they're really negligent as not only parents, but as housekeepers. 
as owners as of wealth. Owners, yeah. <laughs> like I was just like, what? And like, dude, you are begging for someone to come in and attempt to kill you and take all of your riches. Yeah, it was a thought that I had. Like, these rich people are <laughs> woefully unaware of like what others are willing to do. Well, and I think part of that is because of the not so central conceit of the novel it seems like it's going to be more serious than it is mm. which is the fact that wolves roam freely everywhere yeah there's like dark evil wolves that are all <laughs> over the place and they will mess you up um and that's the fantasy element of the book yeah yeah um okay so bonnie's parents go letitia slycarp is the cousin. She shows up. Um, and uh, I think that Sly Carp gets there right before Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sylvia is uh, Bonnie's cousin. Uh, Sylvia's parents are dead and she lives in London with uh, the, okay, Bonnie's father's sister. Um, older sister Jane, she's sick. Like she's very ill and old. And, and like, her illness is mainly from poverty. Yeah, she's malnourished yeah. Um, to the point where, like, she's bedridden. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sylvia gets sent to Bonnie's because, like, I mean, I, th- I think it's because Jane can't really take care of her and also because it's like, oh, her parents are going, go be with Bonnie. Yeah, Bonnie and Sylvia should be consolidated yes. so that they can have another child to be with. Yeah. Um, and so Sylvia takes the train and... While they're traveling through uh, snow, uh, the train stops because of wolves. Yeah. Like the the wolves, literally, they're like on the track. They're menacing the train. <laughs> and there's so many of them. Yeah. That if the train keeps going, their bodies will throw the train off, off the, tra- the tracks. <laughs> so like, <laughs> we've got a wolf problem. Yeah. Um, and the, it's, it's ambiguous if the wolves are going to get on the train. <laughs> That's what I was like. Well, they, they're probably safe on the train, and then it's like, well, like they sometimes they come on, sometimes they get on the train, sometimes they kill the engineer, and like, then we'll all die. Sometimes they <laughs> smash the windows with their bodies. Yeah, yeah. So um, <sighs> there, there's a man on the Wikipedia summary. Just skips straight over this, um, Mr. Grimshaw. There's a man Josiah in... Josiah Grimshaw. Josiah Grimshaw is in the compartment with Sylvia on the train, and he, like, before it gets stopped out, before it gets stopped by the wolves, he's, like, showing her his gun, um, and he, like, leans out the window and starts, like, shooting small animals and be like, yeah, like, <laughs> kill you. Yeah, and just generally, like, crossing the boundaries she's trying to set with him and making her uncomfortable tries to make her eat his cakes <laughs> i mean so on the one hand you could say like okay she clearly is hungry she's in like a tattered dress it's evident that she would maybe benefit from some of the richer but food he, that he has like he he's really creepy he's about so it he's so weird about it yeah, yeah he's so weird about it and the whole the whole time that they're in the train car together, I was just flashing back to every time in my life when like <laughs> an older man has been creepy to me, especially yeah. when I was a teenager, when I took the train every day to yeah. go to school and I had a lot of weird experiences on it and at Union Station. So yeah, went right back to that. Yeah. 
Um, so Mr. Grimshaw does like scare away the wolves or something, but then he gets hit. Well, he kills one of them. Okay. Right. Jumps through the window. Right. And he wraps it in a blanket and stabs it and then dumps it back out the window and then puts the blanket back on himself and goes to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind of world we're living in. And then he gets hit on the head by something. His suitcase falls down. Yes, his suitcase falls down and hits him on the head, and then he passes out. So when (laughs) Sylvia gets to the Willoughby estate, they the Willoughby parents are still there, and Miss Lightcarp is there, and the parents are just like, "Well, bring him in. Just like lay him down somewhere. I'm sure he'll be fine." (laughs) And then they leave. (laughs) (laughs) No, in the and also the doctor comes before they leave and says. He's lost his memory. It's the strangest yeah. thing. And it's like, oh, great. A probably fake amnesia with this creepy man. Yeah. Like, even if it's real, that is. Let a- him have his fill of the home and grounds. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's incredibly irresponsible to be like, oh, yeah, this like super injured man. Let's just leave him here with a stranger and like these two young girls. Two children. <laughs> so after uh, Sylvia gets there, um, they are hanging out like Bonnie and Sylvia are, are kind of instantly friends. Mm-hmm. Um, like Bonnie is so excited for Sylvia to be there. And at first Sylvia is kind of um, shocked by the grandeur of everything, but Bonnie's very welcoming. Yeah. Um, and so they go ice skating. Uh, they get chased by wolves while they're ice skating. And they also see um, Mrs. Slycarp and a mysterious other woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't know what's going on over there. Uh, and those, like, Mrs. Slycarp and the... Miss Slycarp. Right. Mrs. Slycarp and the other woman, who we'll learn more about later, are not, like, afraid of the wolves. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of connection there. Like, if you're evil enough, then the wolves, like, yeah. don't want you. You gotta have really bad vibes. Yeah. And then they just... And then they're probably just like, oh, you're <laughs> you're also a wolf. Like, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, they get saved by Simon, uh, who lives in a cave Simon. on the estate. <laughs> and uh, I love this book so much. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Raises geese and bees <laughs> <laughs> in his cave. <laughs> this is like a Harvest Moon game. <laughs> 100%. I thought about Stardew Valley, especially because yeah. it has like all the Harvest Moon elements just amped up to 11. Yeah, and for for anyone who's interested in uh, farming slash life sims, <laughs> I I would like to note Stardew Valley, incredible game. Go go buy and play yeah. that game. It, it has so much content that's been like only increased over the years. Yeah. Currently, there aren't really good new Harvest Moon games. Now the title is called Story of Seasons, and the Harvest Moon title games are like kind of crummy. Um, so just FYI, if you want a new one, Story of Seasons. Watch out. Um, Simon rescues them. They go back to the estate and like really quickly, uh, things take a serious turn. Mr. Grimshaw is up and around. Miss Slycarp, um, fires all of the household servants except for like the knaves. (laughs) She keeps them on the rakes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's like wearing Lady Green's clothes and, uh, screwing around through Sir Willoughby's papers. Um, and so Bonnie is always yelling at her. Um, but once she fires all the servants, Miss Slycarp can just like punish her however she wants. Like she throws her into a closet. 
um, and locks her in there. And Bonnie and Sylvia also overhear the adults talking about uh, the ship that Bonnie's parents were on sinking. Mm -hmm. And like, it pretty much sounds like they were in on that and they're happy about it. Um, So yeah, that they paid a captain to sail an unseaworthy ship. Yeah. Yeah. Which Um, is, um, what are you going to do with the money when you die on the ship? You know, it's like, what's the devil's bargain that you've made here? Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Don't really understand. Yeah. Um, there are two servants who, uh, one, James is the footman and Miss Lycarp doesn't fire him. Um, because he pretends to be gross. Yeah. And then he acts <laughs> as like a, like yeah. secretly he is on the girl's side um, and he's yeah. their double agent. And then Pattern, who's Bonnie's maid, um, like hides in the estate so that she mm-hmm. can like keep taking care of Bonnie and also Sylvia. Um, and Simon's out there in his cave too. <laughs> So, but Simon doesn't appear in the book for no. quite some time. He's raising his geese and his He's bees. He's busy. <laughs> He's grinding chestnuts to make flour to make little cakes out of. Okay. Yeah. Um, the girls try to get the local doctor, um, like to tell him what's going on and to get him to help them because they're completely without agency, yeah, like in a totally very isolated. scary way. Um, but Miss Lycarp fall, uh, finds out about it um, and uh, makes sure it doesn't work. And then she sends them to an orphanage. <laughs> um, yeah, where, which, which is a classic like labor camp. Yeah. Victorian literature type Oliver orphanage. Twist. Yeah, yeah. It just is yeah. Oliver Twist. Yeah. Um, and the orphanage is owned and run by Mrs. Brisket. Mrs. Brisket. Great villain name. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Trenchable vibes mm-hmm. in some ways. And then her daughter is named Diana and she is also horrible. Um, like she's completely awful. She's really spoiled and like basically just steals all the stuff from the girls, mm-hmm. um, abuses them. And is bad. And then there's a bunch of other orphans there as well. 100 orphans. Yeah. Um, some of them are like everyone, a lot of people are willing to snitch on the other All girls. All girls, right? I think I think so. it's a girls only orphanage. Yeah. 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 Um, the other girls are, some of them are like, you know, strong and uh, aren't trying to do this, but a lot of them are like snitches mm-hmm. um, because like anything they can do to get like more food um, Mm. is worth it to them. So yeah, there's really heavy work. It's freezing. They barely get any food at all. Like they're on starvation rations. Um, And Sylvia has to do laundry outside. Yeah. So she quickly gets sick. She gets sick. um, And Bonnie isn't getting sick. And uh, she sees how sick Sylvia is. And she's like, okay, we have to get out. Then she runs it. Then Simon comes back. Suddenly Simon is there. He has a ton of geese because <laughs> he's brought them to the town to, to sell, sell them because um, that's the season. Simon and Bonnie um, and uh, the absent pattern like sends materials mm-hmm. and uh, helps them copy a key uh, like plot to escape. And so uh, they do escape. Like they tell the other orphans what's going on. Cause they kind of get caught. Um, but they do manage to escape. And, uh, Simon puts Sylvia we only kind of tell the other orphans what's going on. Yeah. We should talk more about this, but I f- did feel they left them a bit high and dry. Yeah. Um, that that's fair. Simon and Bonnie put Sylvia in the back of the cart and cover her with geese. 
Um, it's really wonderful, like to think about, and the, there's some very uh, good detailed language mm-hmm. describing what it's like to just like snug with geese, <laughs> especially when you're super feverish yeah. and have no idea what's going on. Yeah, and I could just imagine all like the happy little, you know, like when ducks and geese get happy, they like close their eyes most way, like they're so cute. Um, And uh, then they're off. Like, then the journey part uh, begins because they are going to London from the orphanage slash workhouse. Um, On the trip to London, like, it's it's a journey, but it's really, really lovely. Like, they have such a good time and they're, like, allowed to be free and they have... Now they have all the agency if they yeah. because they're with Simon mm-hmm. and Simon knows the way he's used to doing this because he he always comes to sell his geese seasonally. And um, Bonnie has gained some life skills from the horrible work some, camp, some actual um, life skills. Yeah, so they, they exchange <laughs> labor at small farms and for food and lodging and things like that. Yeah, it takes um, two months. Yeah, so it's because a, they have to go at goose pace. I'm sorry, I keep it No, they can't rush the geese. So yeah, many good little details. Yeah. Um, okay, when they get to London, Aunt Jane is like almost dead. First, they they go to the they try to go to see their parents' lawyer. Yeah. Um, who is named Mr. Gripe? Mr. Gripe, right? The lawyer. Um, <laughs> Mr. Poopface, <laughs> the lawyer. Uh, and uh, they almost go in, but then they see Josiah Grimshaw like going to knock at his door, and they're like, "Oh, bye!" And then they go to Aunt Jane's. Um, Aunt Jane is almost dead she, from poverty-induced starvation, uh, but. There's a doctor that lives downstairs in uh, Aunt Jane's building, and so he becomes like an adult on their side. Mm, like finally, they, they finally got one <laughs> because the net of people who were involved in Miss Slycarp and Mister Grimshaw's schemes was pretty expansive. Yeah. So they keep thinking they've like reached a new person or point. It's like nope, yeah. they're all connected. Yeah. Um, so the doctor, you know, they they tell everything to the doctor pretty much. Um, and he helps them take care of Aunt Jane. He houses them and he helps them apprehend Mr. Grimshaw when he's like sneaking into uh, Aunt Jane's apartment, like supposedly to see if the In kid's In the middle there. of the night. Yeah, he was probably just like playing to kill everyone. Um, but since they have uh, the doctor, that doesn't happen. They catch Mr. Grimshaw. They put him in a closet himself. Um, looks like the closet's on the other foot now. And then the cops show up, uh, and Mr. Gripe, he was like, oh, this, this man was sniffing around my office. We find that Mr. Gripe is not in on the plan. Although he's he also is pretty extremely negligent. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a great attorney. Um, because like there, there were opportunities for him to figure out what was going on because he just too busy. It's a lawyer's curse. Um, you standing up for Mr. Gripe? No, I'm just like, I'm griping about how being a lawyer got a misgripe on her hands is difficult. <laughs> um, when the, the police and Mr. Gripe show up, uh, Mr. Grimshaw just like a word vomits, like everything that's he knows, like he, he breaks. Um, 
he tells them, like, yeah, we, we meant to steal all their stuff. We hired the sea captain. Like, they're, they're dead. We did it on purpose. Um, and then they all go to Willoughby Chase together. Escorted by lawyer Gripe and Bow Street constables. Uh, at the mansion, they do, like, a trick um, because they need direct evidence for the police who are there, mm-hmm. uh, which I appreciate. Like they, they needed evidence. So the, the police and, um, uh, also the attorney just like hide in the secret passage and, uh, they get Miss Slycarp and Mrs. Brisket, uh, talking about what they're going to do to the girls now that they're back and like, they're going to be punished. Um, this, this isn't the orphanage. This is, um, Willoughby Chase and it has been made into a bigger fan like higher class yeah, school. But but the other orphans also live there. Um, yeah, I didn't really understand. It's a little, well, we don't go deep into their business model. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's extensive. Yeah. But there's also a super funny moment where they get caught in their scheme where Miss Lightcarp says, "Take them to the dungeon," and Mrs. Brisket is like oh, the upper dungeons are occupied already. And she's like, I mean, I was just kidding. Don't take them to the dungeon. Because everyone's listening to them. So all of the orphans are just in the dungeons. So they've been apprehended. And then at that moment, Bonnie's parents show up because they're not dead. Um, They were just floating around in a lifeboat and eating. What were they eating? Oranges and grapes. That's because that was what was on the boat. There was a crate of citrus fruit, thank God. Yes. <laughs> rowboat with them. I don't know what they were drinking, but... I guess oranges and grapes are, are pretty... Yeah. Water content. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and it fixed... It healed uh, Bonnie's mom. She's, she's feeling a lot better after floating around in a lifeboat And they lived months. on the Cayman Islands for yeah. like three months. Yeah, yeah. They weren't floating around in a lifeboat yeah. the whole time. Oh. Um, Canary Islands. Canary Islands, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, they lived on the Canary Islands for a few months. Yes, and uh, th- they're they're back. So they're like, oh my gosh, Sir Willoughby doesn't self-flagellate hard enough for all of the poor decisions that he's made in leaving the estate in Miss Slackarp's hands. He's just like, whoa! Yeah, he's <laughs> really irritating <laughs> yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. no, same. Um, yeah. And uh, Bonnie's parents adopt Sylvia. Uh, They are fixing up all the stuff. And uh, instead of turning out the orphans, uh, they decide to set up a school for the orphans. And also... A legitimate school. Yeah. um, That Aunt Jane will run. That Aunt Jane will come because uh, that way everyone is taken care of. Mm -hmm. And Simon's adopted too, but... Oh, but he leaves to be a painter. He goes to study at an art school in London. Yeah. Yes. Because he's discovered a joy of painting throughout the book. Yeah. On his journey, like he started being a painter. So. And everyone else is sent to receive capital punishment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Great summary. Thank you. Where to begin? <laughs> it so it's really funny reading this book as an adult for the first time. Yeah, I think my experience would have been really different if I had read it when I was young and then revisited it. But I still had a great time reading it. I enjoyed and it a lot. 
it just brought forth so many echoes of, yeah, the kinds of stories that I absolutely adored, like I've already mentioned, um, especially stories about scrappy orphans going on journeys um, and having to overthrow the evil, like ridiculously evil adults who are interfering with them in some way. Um, and, and like achieving a lot of autonomy and like mm -hmm. being able to have a journey and mm -hmm. solve their problems instead of just being, you know, like in real life, children just get trapped in like yeah. horrible situations and they aren't able to do that. So that's, I don't bring that up to be a giant bummer. Mm -hmm. I, I bring that up because I think it's an important part of these types of books that mm -hmm. makes it feel so good to read. Definitely. Um, and I, I think uh, so many things to think about. So I mentioned A Little Princess earlier because that is a book that's similar in some ways, but like a lot sadder, um, yeah. more plodding, uh, a lot more time spent in the, you know, labor camp piece yeah. of the book. Um, and then there's like a more ridiculous deus ex machina at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like more, <laughs> more. Um, but the thing that I thought was so cool about this book that I don't think was present in any of those other orphan type stories that I loved is that it's set in this alternate history. Yeah. Um, and what I mentioned earlier when I was kind of explaining a little bit about maybe why the adults were so incompetent is that they everyone is just lower on Maslow's hierarchy of needs because oh. there are these dang wolves yeah. <laughs> everywhere yeah. and like they can't function as a society in the way that you know alternate reality England during that period was functioning right um because the wolves literally will gunk up the train <laughs> They ruin everything. <laughs> Children know how to use guns because they yeah. have to use them to scare wolves away. Any venture outside of your home, even on this very fancy, well-protected estate, um, even to go out into the park, the grounds, is taking your life into your own hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you have to be constantly cognizant of if the if the wolves are going to show up based on time of day and season and many other factors that seem to be like pretty baked in in everyone's minds, we only get to learn about some of them. But this is the first book in a long series mm -hmm. by Joan Aiken. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly. I'm so sorry. So I imagine that we're going to learn a lot more about how and why of the wolves um, <laughs> as the series goes on. Um, we'll but, have to do more books. Yeah, but it's also, especially because, um, yeah, one of our listeners recommended uh, a character named Dido who shows up in book two and then is a protagonist throughout. Um, but I kind of like them being this this like circumstantial force. That's an atmosphere. That, like it's yeah, an atmospheric exactly. setting thing. It yeah. would it would be exhausting if every conflict was 
interfered with by wolves. Right. <laughs> um, and the girls have plenty of other stuff to deal with as is. And also when they leave the country, it, naturally the wolves are just less of a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, like Blast when they're in Blastburn. <laughs> That's a... Which, oof. <laughs> well, which felt like a commentary on like the industrial age to me. Like, um, like Tolkien. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and Bonnie says that it's like yeah, like a horrible place and stuff. And it's like yeah, but the manufacturing processes that are taking place there are very much you know making your life more comfortable. That, yeah, you those just goods don't want to have to. You don't want to have to see it and be a part of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, and also when they're in London too, you know the wolves aren't going to mess with them. But like it's just interesting that that whole two month journey on a goose cart, which you'd think would be like. Like very tempting to these throngs of intelligent, motivated wolves. They're like totally there's, fine. there's not even a mention of them. But it's also seasonal, it seems. So like in warm right. seasons. They, they go up north. Yeah, the wolves go They north. don't like the warmth. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just, that was fascinating and I loved it. It was so weird. And this is, you know, loosely a fantasy book, but also very much a fantasy book. And mm-hmm. sometimes I enjoy that sort of approach to fantasy. Yeah. Um, where it's not about the fantasy, mm-hmm. but the fantasy is there and it and, makes and the story And it's very stronger. much a distinct fantasy element. Like, yeah. And, and it's not, and the presence of the wolves from the very start, which, you know, they're mentioned immediately, um, also makes the other sort of fantastical moments feel more special. Like when Simon shows up, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, who has a great introduction when Bonnie and Sylvia are like Sylvia is passing out because they skated too far and they're being chased by wolves and they're trying to get back to the house. They can't make it. And Bonnie just says, Oh, I have a friend who lives nearby. And it's like, what, who could this be? Yeah. It could be anyone. It could be, I, I guess I was thinking of, um, Ronia and thinking of like the creatures that live in the woods and right. things like that. Yeah. Um, but that it's like, yeah, a little boy who lives in a goose cave. Love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, which also, I mean, yeah, so that there technically isn't fantasy, but the fact that he like, yeah, just chills on the property. It and is fantastical. Is, and he's at one with the wood and yeah. he uses, he's very like fairy and nymph and elf-like in a lot of different ways. Yes. Um, where he lives very harmoniously with the land. Yeah. Um, but is also like a great businessman. <laughs> like he knows how to take care of himself. Yeah. Um, no, it's and, true. and can make a key out of clay. So <laughs> yeah, he's he's really you want him in your adventure yeah, party. <laughs> for sure. And he, he is shows up when he is needed. Yeah. Um so yeah, for for all of those reasons, I really enjoyed visiting this even as an adult how what were your impressions i definitely thought of the wolves like as really there like as a fantasy element and then of course like as a lot of Mm -hmm. metaphor for like all of the danger that's like constantly lurking in the world for a lot of people especially because sylvia has a dream at one point that miss sly carp is like at the head of a massive pack of wolves and like coming to get her and like um, you mentioned, because there's clearly some kind of connection between... Because she says, like, oh, the wolves w- would never go after yeah, me. Yeah, I'd like to see them try yeah. or something like that. Like, she's so confident. Yeah, so, like, she's on the same, like, side with them. Good and evil are very clear yeah, in this book. Exactly. And in the world, so there's they're both evil. A, a distinct line. 
Um, yeah, and they they both fall on the same side, so that yes. carries whatever associations and um, benefits <laughs> yeah. that you get from being evil. I don't know. No, no. I mean, uh, th- I. I feel like that's what the book is communicating. Like you said, like very strong, mm-hmm. good and evil. And like, she's evil, they're evil, like mm-hmm. same category sort of. Yeah. Um, at first I was really stressed when things started going majorly South because it stresses me out when, when kids mm-hmm. like little kids are in bad spots in books, but I don't know, just, just because of how resourceful they were and because of how Bonnie kept their spirits up when they were in the orphanage, I, I realized pretty quickly, like, it's going to be okay. Um, you know, this, this isn't going to be messed up to the end. <laughs> yeah. But well, but the, the bad things but that I was are worried. happening to them are pretty dire. Yeah. And the orphanage is a bit of a death sentence. It is. Um, they're starving them. They're, they're starving them or they could succumb to exposure mm-hmm. um, because a lot of, I mean, it's freezing overall, but then especially like Sylvia having to do the laundry and ice water outside um, when she's already like pretty thin and has already been like somewhat malnourished mm-hmm. for probably her whole life. Yeah. Um, from what we learn of her life with aunt Jane. Yeah. Um, I was concerned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like the... And Bonnie doesn't get food for days at a time, so she subsists on raw eggs, which um, a raw egg will do, yeah. Yikes, yeah, but she literally says like, they. I was disgusted at first, but I'm starving, so yeah, she was yeah like, I'll it's eat amazing raw eggs. When it tastes good when yeah. you're hungry enough. <laughs> yeah, um, and like the, the superintendent or whatever, the inspector comes by and is just like, everything seems to be in order here. And, and then, Mrs. Brisket literally has them go to classrooms and yell out A, B, C, D, and one, two, three, whenever yeah. he comes over. Yeah, um, and I think Sylvia literally like faints in front of him or something. And then the, the, ex- like, the full ex- child's ill. Yeah. The full extent <laughs> of what he does is just point and be like, that child is ill. <laughs> and then like, so she, then she just gets put in the coal cellar. Yeah, she just shuts her up in the coal cellar. Like, well, might as well kill her quick. Yeah, then. exactly. Just put it away yeah. so the others won't see. Um, um, but when when Simon shows back up, and then it's like, oh, they're going to escape, and then it yeah. it goes into that like beautiful journey of happiness that they share yeah. with each other and the geese. Um, and from then on, like things are positive. Mm-hmm. Um, like every everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed the arc that this took. I'm excited to read more of them. Yeah. Um, and I like at the beginning, I also thought I was just going to be annoyed by Bonnie, uh, by Bonnie really, yeah. because she was so, uh, she was so bubbly effusive. and rich. And I, but I've, she's also rebellious and uh, at the beginning. Yeah. At, like at the very start, I was like, oh, she's going to be annoying or like yeah. she's going to be bad to Sylvia or something. Mm-hmm. But nope, she's actually like really kind mm-hmm. and well-meaning um, and eager to learn. Uh, and, and like she's very loyal. Yeah, very loyal. She's very cognizant of injustice mm-hmm. and does what she can to write it. Um, which is impressive, especially coming from this girl who has clearly been raised in by a- idiots. <laughs> 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 that's not what I was going to say, but yes, <laughs> yes. 
I um, mean, the servants are pretty capable, mm-hmm, um, yeah. especially the servants that like take be their surrogate parents while their parents are gone. But th- their yeah. dad especially is. I'm surprised he hadn't already lost the estate, to be quite honest. Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wolf times, you know? People yeah. are desperate. Like, yeah. they will do things. Um, and yeah, he's truly a sitting duck. And, and Lady Green, I think, is too sickly to be um, very involved. Yeah, she comes across as kind of like a, a wilting lily or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you call it. Shrinking violet. Shrinking violet. Yeah. I like <laughs> I like wilting lily. lily though. <laughs> because uh, she's oh, she's not shy. Thing. She's she's wilted. Yeah. <laughs> Stinky poppy. <laughs> A sulking jasmine. There you go. That's good. <laughs> um Yeah, I, I think that's that's where that's where the wolves add an interesting complication as well. Then the other like funny piece of the book to me and just something that I think bears discussing is the approach to class within Mm. the book. Yeah. Um, Because so the wolves are an equalizer in a lot of ways, but that doesn't mean that there aren't um, many instances of people suffering from and almost dying of extreme poverty mm-hmm. when they also like in some cases have these not so distant relatives like it, this is aunt jane's brother yeah. and she won't tell him that she needs help so she starts because herself. she's quote unquote too proud which is kind of like i don't know <laughs> yeah it's so and i can't begin to understand like right. these complex <laughs> aristocratic especially ex- because the author herself went through that in a way like i remember didn't, you read the foreword i uh you listened to it <laughs> and it's written so joan aiken's daughter wrote a foreword that's in this i didn't um, listen to it i actually read it Nice. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Thank you. Um, in the 50th anniversary edition. Yeah. And it talks about how her mom had started the book um, when they were very young. Um, and then their dad died. Yeah. Um, and they un- lost like all their money and became very poor, right? They, so she says, my father fell ill and lost his job. My parents were obliged to sell their home. Less than two years later, my father died. Uh. Um, So that is very difficult. And she had to take care of young kids and herself and find a home and work. Um, So she had to take a, okay, almost 10 year break after she had started writing the book. Um, until she could return to it. And then after that, she experienced great success and was very prolific and was able to, you know, be an author. And got a cat. Yes. And they talk (laughs) about how they had, um, they had a cat named Torquemada. I don't know how to pronounce this. Yeah. Um, Torquemand. Torquemada, who had been a houseboat cat um, and some other cats chased him off of his boat and he came to live with their family. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And the last line of the introduction is we were like those orphans of the storm and she had safely brought us home. I do think that there is some of that desire to like make things feel 
bounteous, bounteous and comfortable, luxurious. Um, but there, there are also problems in which the ways people with money behave. And the thing that made me really uncomfortable is that the book has that trope of beloved faithful servants Mm -hmm. essentially giving up their own lives lives and well-being in In order order to take care care for their masters um which is used uh and was used historically in the united states um to significant effect to perpetuate slavery Mm. um and especially at the outbreak of the civil war and Mm. even in the years following um tried to legitimize reasons for maintaining the keeping of slaves um and uh, in this book everyone's white um, and it's set in England and it is, it doesn't have the same, the exact same historical piece, but it feels similar in a lot of ways. Less racist, but definitely like extremely messed up classism. Well, right. It's still a huge problem, yeah. <laughs> even if it's not directly related to slavery, but it, yeah. it is speaking to it in that same way where it's like, well, my life is less valuable than yours. The, the faithful servant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because they say multiple times that pattern will be put in prison if she's caught in the house because she was fired and told. Yeah. To she's go trespassing. Um, but she like lives in the attic so yeah. that she can warm Bonnie and Sylvia's beds and like bring them dinner. And it's like, pattern you need something for yourself yeah like you poor woman you don't even really have a name (laughs) (laughs) because you sew things like that's messed up (laughs) but like i also understand the way in which joan aiken like i said earlier i think was really satirizing a lot of these types of stories because every element is just like pumped up (laughs) to the absolute max yeah and that's definitely a piece of it too that's true yeah where there are these like perfect loving people that are living in the house and are like, don't worry, little girls, I won't leave you no matter what. I'll help. Um, and then Simon is um, a part of that kind of question too. Um, but he is treated as uh, like a nomad, um, but there's never any question of like, well, does Simon want a family right. or like people to... Take yeah, like care of him. The, the he wants Lord to be alone Willoughby with his geese. Just lets him live on the property in a cave. Like he has an estate. It yeah, seems like he could no have set him up a little bit better rather than just being like, Oh yeah, sure, you can squat out back. You and then know. and then the biggest problem is obviously the orphanage, quote unquote, school yeah. in Blastburn. Um, which is just so clearly forced labor for yeah. kids. Yeah, it's just a work um, camp. And every adult turns a blind eye to that because we keep getting these little moments where when the the like superintendent or what whatever he is, he's like the inspector school or inspector yeah. um, comes by, we are explicitly told that Mrs. Brisket, you know, slips him a guinea um, or like when the doctor comes and says, I got a weird empty note because Miss Slycarp had swapped out Bonnie's plea for him to come help them with an empty envelope. And then James left a verbal message saying like, things are bad. We need help, but she gives him money and he goes away. 
And then he's just like, oh, those little minxes before it goes away. There's so many moments, yeah, when the girls are reduced to like, well, they can be bad. So I guess that's what's going on here. <laughs> Instead of like this full on life theft that Miss Lightcarp has carried yeah. out. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I'll just finish off this little mini rant with <laughs> Lord Willoughby or whatever his name is. I can't remember. Mr. Willoughby. I don't know. Willoughby. Um, big Willoughby. <laughs> when big old Willoughby <laughs> comes back and sees his daughter after they've both been through harrowing ordeals, but particularly so for his daughter. Yeah. Um, he's, he's like, Oh boy, you're very tan. Like I see you haven't been learning your, he literally says you haven't been like learning your needlework and your je ne sais quoi. And it's just like, okay, I know you're probably joking to some extent, but like, come on. Yeah. Like, come on, bro. Like we've been come through on. a lot. I also love the moment at the end when Bonnie says, I prefer boys clothes because yeah, she has been she wearing them. Uh, her disguise throughout the book. Um, and I mean, I, I hope for her sake that she's able to wear the clothes that she's most comfortable in. Um, yeah. But there, that provided her with an opportunity to break out of her set role within her class. Um, and it's not like, you know, I'm not saying being put in, that orphanage was a good opportunity or anything like that, but there was a disruption of the pre-planned way in which she was going to be living her life. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one small thing, this is just the way I took it when I was reading mm -hmm. it that I actually kind of liked is a couple times, uh, like when they were not, not necessarily in that context, like when their dad comes home, but just like, you know, messing around or like doing whatever they want. I interpreted the uh, girls will be girls as a subversion of the boys will be yeah, boys. I noticed that too, because yeah. that's said multiple times mm -hmm. and it's said in the same context that boys will yes. be boys is typically yeah, like covered in mud. And yeah. Like, like getting know, up to trouble, yeah. getting into scrapes. Yeah. And saying girls will be girls. And I was like, yay. An acknowledgement yeah. that children will be children yeah. regardless of, uh, you know, gender or however yeah. else like they are or I identify like yeah. they are children <laughs> yeah I'm so glad you mentioned that because I also loved that I thought it was really cool mm -hmm. and that's another way in which this book um is satirizing these types of stories yeah. where like it is two little girls and it's an orphanage of girls who are doing this labor mm -hmm. um and hauling coal and yeah all all the other things that go along with it yeah um yeah, I guess I had one more class piece to mention. I was also uncomfortable when Bonnie and Sylvia escaped and mm. I thought they would keep the key or hide it somewhere for the other girls to use. But, yeah, but they just it leave. was so weird that they were like, we should sink this key in the river. Yeah. And it felt like such a out of sight, out of mind, washed my hands of that situation. Yeah. It's like there are 98 other girls there like dying <laughs> who aren't well. Yeah. Um, and then in the end, they do ultimately help the orphans. And even um, Mrs. Brisket's daughter is Diana, yeah. um, rehabilitated from being like horrible. Well, she's um, still horrible. She just doesn't have any power anymore. So she like. Well, it specifically says that Miss Jane's. Or, that she was like demure now her, because of her, her like, loss of her power. 
No, no. It says that spending time with Aunt Jane oh, okay. um, sh- and and experiencing her. Okay, here it is. <laughs> um, so Diana had nowhere to go and was forced willy-nilly to stay with the orphans, where it may be said in passing, wholesome discipline and the right. example okay. of Aunt Jane's unselfish nature soon wrought an improvement in her character. And she was less terrible. Wow, this is really funny. I forgot about this. Some of the parlor boarders and daughters of the nobility and gentry had been fetched away by their parents who lived near enough and the rest were awaiting removal. Mm. <laughs> Those were the fancy kids yes. who were at yeah. Willoughby. <laughs> right, because they wanted to make money. Exactly. That's why they were that's they also, changed it to that's rich That's also why kids. it reminded me of A Little Princess because that is like a fancy girl's boarding school slash orphanage situation Mm -hmm. and the main character becomes an orphan and then just is made into a servant yeah um, because her dad owes the headmistress money yeah um yeah uh okay so in the end they did help them but i didn't love that they were like we're out of here yeah, um, without about it then. explicitly saying something about like we'll help you yeah. don't lose hope yeah please oh yeah intense orphanage scenes yeah definitely yeah so wow <laughs> um where are we at where are we um we have really already discussed the magic system, which is just wolves. Wolves everywhere. Wolves. <laughs> wolves. So let's talk about animals. Yeah, animals. Just like animals, animals in this book. Geese. <laughs> so many geese. <laughs> so many geese. Um, also, the like matriarch and patriarch of all the geese, the originators, which is a little disturbing because they're all a family. <laughs> They're just reproducing, um, are named Goosey and Gandy, which at first I was like, okay, adorable. But then I was like, this honestly makes me sad because it drives home that Simon is really just and has been a child living alone with Goosey and Gandy and all of their offspring. so many years yeah just like oh my god simon definitely uh kind of a bummer yeah i mean he seems happy enough but i've i want a book about simon maybe that's maybe that's in the series i don't know know where simon came from (laughs) and like his thoughts his quiet thoughts yeah like how does he actually feel about everything yeah um, but the geese give us the initially alarming and then amazing moment when Sylvia and Bonnie are going down into Simon's cave to escape from the wolves. And we're getting Sylvia's perspective at this point. And she just says that she felt many warm bodies bouncing <laughs> off of her. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I never want that to Something happen bad. because it's pitch black and yeah. she can't see anything. Yeah. And like think about it if you were entering a pitch black underground space and you felt the sensation of geese bouncing against you it sounds fun but no, I, think I would be in like, reality giant spiders <laughs> giant spiders in the dark they are touching me <laughs> do you think giant spiders feel like geese because they would be like kind of fuzzy fuzzy and light 
<laughs> oh god my I just geese are very light body shift. yeah that's why i'd be like no yeah. no 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 but geese also are pretty loud like they're always yeah. doing little yeah i think from the audible cues you'd yeah. be able to i probably smell as well yeah yeah goose smell goose smell it's distinct you know what you're getting yep, exactly <laughs> so I was on a walk this week and there's a park that goes under the Montlake Cut. I don't know if you've walked there before. And Canadian geese just, it's their zone. It's where they poop. I walked past the little swing that's hanging from that tree by the edge and there were so many geese and they were kind of tough. I'm like, what are you doing? And I looked past them and there were all these little fuzzy geese heads. It was just like a a little cloud of of baby goose heads um, that were clustered against the water. I Um, love baby geese goslings. Yeah. And these are white geese, I'm assuming. That's what I was figuring. (laughs) Um, English geese. Uh, Not Canadian geese. We got Canadian geese over here on our continent. And let me tell you, they are aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Very aggressive. They Um, will hiss at you real quick. And run at you. Yeah. Our brother has a child, took great delight in um, getting into a goose fight. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's Patrick loves birds. Yeah, yeah, no, he doesn't. It wasn't like, he wasn't hitting them. No, no, it was just <laughs> just like a sort of playful back and I'll forth. I'll fight you, goose. Chase, that's all. Yeah. Um, yep, so the geese, they're present throughout the book, and I... Uh, there are so many moments near the end that are so slapstick and um, just like almost three stooges e where they're yeah. all entering the estate again and Simon has his geese and they're like <laughs> roaming through the house <laughs> with a cloud of geese. I, I couldn't stop thinking about what it would be like realized in a visual medium. Um, yeah, and if it were like... Yeah, if it were in anime, it would literally just be like a white, like quack, 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 With quack, like quack, a little head or little two beaks. and like some little oh feet sticking out. So cute. That would be so great. And then outside of the geese, um, we get, you know, mention of some ponies who never really get ridden because they get sold slash squirreled away at the they, beginning yeah, of the book. They by get hidden. Like yeah. yeah, the ponies have to go away. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of it. But the geese are so prominent, um, that I felt satisfied. They are a great presence. Okay. So let's take on a very zesty filling and sometimes disgusting pretend food. Zesty. (laughs) This book has really all the pretend food modes in spades. Yeah. It's a hungry book. It's a feast book. It's a traveling book. Traveling food book. Yeah. Well, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I guess when I break down all that we've learned about pretend food through the near hundred episodes of this podcast, I think those are the three main categories that I put the food that we get the most excited about into. That's a good point. Um, yeah. There's, there's, if, if you're hungry and being imprisoned or something, you know, some kind of conflict is happening and then you're making do with what you have. Yeah. Hungry food. <laughs> then if you are on a quest and you have to have victuals that you either come by in the wilds or are able to like package away and bring along with you. Yeah. That's, Portable. That's journey food. And then if you're in a great hall with 
riches surrounding you, then you get feast food. Um, and and you're yeah, right. this has I, some I of everything. That, I think it's got everything yeah. um, at different points. Um, it it did make me so hungry. Um, made me really hungry a, too. A pretty ridiculous extent. Yeah. Um, and you know, in in the hungry food category, there's a lot of unpleasantness at the orphanage. Um, as as previously mentioned, Bonnie subsists on raw eggs. On raw eggs, which. Honestly, she's getting more nutrients than probably anyone else. Anyone else at the orphanage. It is very yeah. funny when she's apprehended by Diana. Is that her name? The daughter? Yeah. Um, who's like, what if? What has it got in its pockets? <laughs> and she puts her hand into her pocket. <laughs> it was like, ah, an egg. <laughs> it's a great illustration of her with her hand yeah. thrust in the air and gooey bits just dripping off of it. Um but yeah, other than that, it's like crusts of bread and gruel um, and like thin slices of gristle um, all the while with the like perfectly ridiculous counterpart of Mrs. Brisket, you know, feasting on like lamb and puddings yeah. and whatnot sitting like, at the front of the room. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's dive into a few things. Um so poor Sylvia on the train as she's heading out to Willoughby Chase. She's sitting across from Josiah Grimshaw. My husband's name is Josiah. I encounter very few Josiahs. And as soon as this one came up, I was like, oh, he's horrible. <laughs> they have no similarities beyond the name. Um, sitting across from Josiah and watching him eat like these incredible sumptuous cakes um, while being like, eat a cake. And she's like, no. <laughs> And he's like, look, they're good. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah. And she's like, just no. like, uh. <laughs> And her aunt, this broke my heart, instructed her to never eat in front of someone else. So she's starving, but she has to wait until he goes to sleep before she can take out her because sad it's little not parcel. Mannerly. And I don't know. I relate to this. I used to really struggle to eat around other people. Yes, same. Um, and sometimes it's still hard for me. And I am uh, famous with my partner for going to weddings in particular are hard because you get like a preset amount of food at yeah. a lot if it's a plated dinner. Um, and then I'm like too socially anxious to actually eat my food for the most part. That's and why you got to like, bring some purse cheese. <laughs> or a laundry basket cheese, which is in this book. <laughs> Very cheese motivated people. I usually stick a couple of things of string cheese in my purse when I'm going to an event because I'm just like, who that? Who knows what <laughs> what, what kind of stuff I'm going to get fed? <laughs> I'm just picturing you being like, oh, there's something in my purse I have to look at. They'll just be like, <laughs> don't worry about it. Look over there. There's a wedding. I got this string cheese at the bar. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that um, that really resonated with me. But the only food that she has with her are rolls that contained in each a tiny sliver of ham, frail and thin as pink tissue paper. Oh. The language is really beautiful in this book. Yeah. Um, we haven't mentioned that yet, but this was only Joan Aiken's second book. Um, oh. And I think it was really beautifully written. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and meanwhile, Josiah is devouring his sausage down. <laughs> <laughs> 
while smiling at her. It's he's so terrifying. He's so creepy. I know I mentioned this earlier, but he I just was so frightened for her being yeah. with him. And it really took me back to ugh, I think one moment in particular when I was like a freshman in high school. So I was like 13 or 14. Um and sitting at the train station, waiting for my train downtown Chicago. And this terrifying man came and sat with me and was trying to talk to me mm-hmm. and like get me to engage with him. And then was like, oh, will you watch my briefcase while I go like get something from McDonald's or whatever? And I was just Take like, Take your briefcase with you. No. I will not watch your briefcase. And if you leave it here, I will leave. <laughs> but, Good. but it's just like, it really, yeah, it took me, took me back to, to that moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wish someone would have checked in on Aunt Jane a little sooner in the book because there's so she many signs dying. that she does not have any funds or food. I met with the side of a posset the first time that we get to Willoughby Chase and possets are mentioned a few times throughout the book. What is a posset? So, remember your old friend Syllabub from um... Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I'm thinking of Oversea Under Stone but Syllabub has shown up in a few different books that we've read um, which is like an old timey English drink that was like hot cream or milk that was curdled with some kind of acid we've lost madeline i'm upset yeah she's having trouble i love hot milk i love hot milk just just drink that don't put something else in it historical it was hot um so it, it would be yeah hot milk that had some kind of like liquor and like spices and it was used as a remedy of sorts we get a few dubious remedies in this book. Yeah. The blacksmith later on says that there's nothing better than sheep's breath and porridge. <laughs> sheep's breath. For a sick person. Right, because they put her in the because barn. Sylvia is in put the in the goose barn. cart. Yeah, with yeah. the geese, with all his sheep around her. Yeah. And he's like so confident in his medicine. <laughs> from the moment. I was like, there. maybe the sheep's breath is some kind yeah, of magic. Maybe we should yeah. try it. Then, when Simon saves them from the wolves and they go into his cave, from between the two glowing stones at the fire, he pulled a flat stone on which were baking a number of little cakes. The two children ate them hungrily as soon as they were cool enough to hold. They were brown on the outside, white and flowery within, and sweet to the taste. Your cakes are splendid, Simon, Bonnie said. How do you make them? From chestnut flour, Miss Bonnie, I gather up the chestnuts in the autumn and pound them to flour between two stones. Sounds And it's really that good. moment at which I'm like, okay, I'm very impressed with Simon and I'm firmly on his team. A and self-sufficient person. I, I like held fingers up to the heavens when he made a clay key to save them from the orphanage. And I was just like, can you be a more effective person? Right, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, his, and he was raised by geese. <laughs> Like, he's doing better than me. <laughs> we get a very funny meal moment when Miss Slycarp makes clear that she plans on feeding the children either nothing or bread and water um, and says plain food only from now on. Then she says, you may bring me a light luncheon at one o'clock. Chicken, oyster patties, trifle, and a half bottle of champagne. <laughs> 
just, you drink so much champagne. I drink so much champagne. <laughs> and it was so funny to me. Bonnie's note that she writes for the doctor just made me laugh out loud um, yeah. when she's describing all the horrors that are Dr- going on. Where's mama's like, dresses? Drinks champagne. <laughs> no, she said, drink champagne every day. <laughs> so good. The the villain, the villain, villainy. villainy. Thank yeah. you. I wanted to say villainity. The villainity <laughs> of it. The villainity of it all. <laughs> the villainy is magnificent. And this is the way that Bonnie manages to give Sylvia some kind of nutrition before they escape the orphanage here's sylvia swallow this down it's not much but at least it's nourishing and warm and she pulled from her pocket an egg only five minutes late tossed the water from the cup out the window broke the egg into it and beat it up with her finger i'm sorry sylvia that it's so disgusting (laughs) but it will do you good you have to eat this food convalescing in those circumstances just i don't yeah. enjoy convalescing when i'm living a life of like high privilege so uh, yeah oh yeah i had my second vaccine shot a few weeks ago and yikes didn't like that that was a sad panda not good but worth it oh yeah yeah, yeah. go get vaxxed people more than worth it then Mr. Wilderness, the blacksmith that they go to right, stay Mr. with, Wilderness. everyone's names. And Mr. Friendship was the name of the creepy superintendent who was horrible uh, at his job. Yeah. So many, also so many very, good names. Yeah, like very, very good names. Okay. Mr. Wilderness tells them when they're like, how will Sylvia heal? What should we do? There's not like lying with sheep two, three days for a chesty cough. The breath of sheep has a powerful virtue in it. <laughs> that and a brew of my cherry bark syrup with maybe a spoonful of honey and a plateful or two of good porridge will set her to rights better than the grandest doctor in the kingdom. Wow. They do bring Aunt Jane back to life with champagne also. The use of champagne throughout the book. And also, I mean, I love champagne. Who doesn't? Yeah. If you can imbibe safely and comfortably um don't drink kids <laughs> no. but i love the way that it's used both as like characterizing the evil villains but then like bringing dear aunt jane back to hell champagne is versatile yeah um and then, it's, it's so decadent right that's what it's about for sure yeah the height of luxury yeah um then the final pretend food that we'll go out on from this magnificent book full of mentioning every meal which you know gets a gold star from us here at dragon yeah. babies yeah is when sylvia and bonnie and simon are journeying to london and they stop at an inn where simon is repainting the inn sign yeah and he paints a gorgeous green and gold serpent twined in the rungs of a pruning ladder while they Eat, they feed like gamecocks at the innkeeper's table on roast duck and apple cheesecake. Ooh. And I said aloud after reading this, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to figure out yeah. how to make an apple cheesecake. That, that sounds, sounds absolutely magnificent. Ooh, and we do live in Washington State, which is the largest producer of apples for the United States. Fun fact about Washington for all of you out there. Yeah, I get lectured by my friends here because I'm a transplant and they they told me that, and I was like, that can't be right, because in my childhood, they were like, what, you, when you were growing up, you didn't know that all the apples come from Washington? I was like, no, I thought they came from Chicago, where I grew up. <laughs> we went to Rockford, to the apple orchard. <laughs> it was right outside of Rockford, yeah. Yeah, yeah many apple orchards in um, northwest Illinois and 
Wisconsin. So whatever. But now I know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that brings us to our final segment, Badass Lady Meter, where we are reclaiming the term badass for strong female protagonists throughout time. Do you have a badass lady in mind? I'm going to give my badass lady to Sylvia. Um, and uh, I rate her all of the uh, syllabub. What's it called? Well, it was po- a posset in this book. I rate Sylvia all the possets that she desires. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't remember her saying that she particularly enjoyed a posset. I thought they like possets. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Don't be, don't be cry. (laughs) Take it back. No, that was a great rating. And then my other one is for Goosey. Oh, we have two (laughs) two meters to give out now. My other baddest lady meter is for Goosey. And uh, I rate her years and years of happy living with her husband and all of their, (laughs) all of their incestuous children. children. I'm done. Okay, that was unprecedented. Longtime listeners will know we have never, one of us, given out two ratings. Um, so I, I'll create a nice bookend and give my badass lady to Bonnie, who I think, you know, I felt a kinship with and I did really enjoy. Um, I love that Bonnie and Sylvia are two sides of a coin and they have so much they can really gain from one another because Sylvia is overly cautious and Bonnie is overly headstrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so they're, they're a good pair. Yeah, they really are. And it's, it's fun watching them adventure and like help teach one another about what it is to like really be a kid. Yeah. Um, because they hadn't really had that experience yet. Yeah, Definitely. And my rating for Bonnie is being able to wear whatever clothes she wants and hopefully be able to continue spending time out in the world, getting into scrapes, girls being girls. Girls being girls. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for our episode on The Wolves of Willoughby Chase by Joan Aiken. Thank you again to Clarissa and Angela and anyone else who mentioned this book for recommending it. We had such a good time reading it. Thank you. Our next book will be Tamsin by Peter S. Beagle, which we are very excited to revisit. Yeah. So I know we've been releasing episodes a little more slowly the last (laughs) four months now, (laughs) as I realized when I looked at the schedule, but... Everyone's um, having a weird year, just... (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we need to explain it. Yeah. So we'll be here when we can. We definitely plan on continuing to pod indefinitely until the sun burns out, so... (laughs) We'll be here. (laughs) Come with us. (laughs) You can find um, some of the illustrations we talked about, the cover of the book, and much, much more at our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. We'll also post fun stuff related to this episode on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and Twitter at dragonbabiespod. And if you like weird art and pictures of my dog, then check out my art Instagram, Pig and Doodles, that's P-I-G-N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S. I'm really glad that I chose a name that I have to spell for people to be able to find it. Well, I think you could say Pig, letter N, Doodles. Pig, letter N, Doodles. You heard it here first. Check it out. 
More Edward Gorey inspired art for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So thanks everybody. Yay. I'm Grace and I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.